It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. Hey, with an effective character, three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Jay will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode 56 of the Defective Characters podcast. Let's go. Hey, and we also have a, uh, a guest that's going to be chiming in with an identification who told this story last week, Kevin. How's it going, Kevin? Uh, great. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, yeah, Jay. You, I, I don't know if you knew that we were going to ask you to identify after, but I figure you're here. People now know you very well since we've been on now two episodes. So, you know, we might as well keep this gravy train rolling, right? And who, yeah. doesn't, who doesn't like some gravy, James? I like gravy, but the brown gravy. And you sound so much clearer. So what changed so with, you, with your mobile setup? My mobile setup. Well, I just got a, a brand new iPad Pro. Before I had an iPad 6. So I guess it's just slowly failing me. And I do have to upgrade my phone. But in the meantime, I got a, a wonderful iPad on that I could do all my graphic design on with my Apple Pencil. I'm just loving this thing. Yeah, and speaking about things getting better, I think they're doing construction right next to us, so this will be good, because that's kind of like what AA is all about, right? Like, we're reconstructing ourselves, so you sounding a lot clearer, us kind of sounding crappy because they're building right next to us, I think it uh, <laughs> will sound exactly the same. Like, we... <laughs> But I, I love it when we actually have an excuse for us sounding not so good, because normally we don't have an excuse, and we just sound horrible right. on our end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is an extra special episode, a guy that we've been trying to get on pretty much since we started. Dennis talked about him and his story and was instrumental in kind of getting him here and kind of uh, that fellowship. So Dennis is going to intro our speaker today, who is a great friend of uh, really everybody. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Can you all hear me? Yeah, Dennis, loud and clear. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, this dude, I think if you go back to episode two and listen to my story, I talk about how it's episode I went... three. Episode three? No, it's two. It's two. You were three, buddy. <laughs> no, I was three. Oh, Mike was three. <laughs> ah, we need a spreadsheet. <laughs> um, Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> on episode two, and I talk about my story or whatever, I talk about a. a guy that i met that worked at a bar that i would go into and then we became friends and then we played pokemon go and became even more friends and he was the guy who got me into the room and he introduced me to people like he's the guy who introduced me to my sponsor he introduced me to kevin and other friends that i have in the program and stuff like that so he's very instrument or instrumental in my recovery and in my program 
So if y'all are annoyed by me and having to listen to me ramble all the time, this is the guy you can blame. Because without him, I probably would be dead by now. So without further ado, here's Jay. Yay! Hey everyone, I am Jay, and uh, as an yeah, I'm an alcoholic and I'm an addict. And you're Hi Jay. My sobriety date, hey James, my sobriety date is April 20, March 23rd of 2020. Um, that gives me just a little over six months of recovery. Um, not my first time in recovery. I've been coming around for about the past 10 years. Unfortunately, I have not had that much sobriety, but um, that's just part of my story. And uh, I want to thank Dennis for that very humbling introduction. You know, him telling that story about just two alcoholics helping one another, to me, is the essence of this program. It's the brick and mortar of of AA or recovery, one person helping another person. Um, I guess a little little backstory about me. Um, I did not grow up in a broken home. Um, I, for the most part, I had very loving parents. I had two sisters that were very loving, doting over me. Um, and I had an older brother. I'm the youngest of four. Um, grew up in a small town in South Carolina. Um, like I said, you know, I had great parents, good brothers and sisters. Um, but you know what, though, as a kid, um, I did suffer some trauma and it wasn't from the family. Um, but I just I did have my share of trauma growing up as a kid, um, growing up in a small southern town, small, very small southern town in South Carolina. Um, you know, me being from my family, being from South Korea, um, I, I was I was taught about and shown about being different at a very early age, um, not only on the inside, but on the outside because of my, because of the color of my skin. Um, and I think a long time ago, even on the inside, when I felt a little different than everyone else, um, I suffered my first trauma with that. I think I was in seventh grade and I remember I was at a new school standing outside with my friends and this guy came up and was screaming just awful racial slurs towards, towards me. And, um, I didn't, I didn't know what I'd done. I mean, I was just mortified about this. And, um, and, and I remember, I, I remember like it was yesterday and I remember just standing there and this guy is just screaming these awful things at me. And, um, and I remember just standing there and I think that was the first time I felt alone in this world because my friends around me kind of started to stand back and started to walk away from me. It's like that movie that, you know, that bully movie where the kid's getting bullied and all the friends start to kind of disappear and he's standing there all alone. And I think that was my first experience with that. Um, but for me, it, it kind of just set in motion my um, inability to identify with other people, my inability to have an intimate relationship with other people because I started to pull myself away. I was a loner even before that happened. My sisters used to tell me as a kid, I would play a lot by myself. And then this kind of just pushed me towards the other side. Um, you know, and you know, I always had this addictive personality even before I put drugs and alcohol in my body. Um, and, um, I don't know. Like, I think the first time I drank alcohol, I think I was, well, that was in seventh grade. I think it was in eighth grade. But the first time I remember st- my, my father, he, he, 
he passed away when I was 15. Um, I don't really remember much of his drinking. Um, I don't know if he was an alcoholic or not. Um, question I, I dare not ask my mother, but I have my suspicions that my father probably wasn't a little bit of an alcoholic. But um, I remember standing in front of the mirror and I had my dad's glass because he drank Crown Royal and Budweiser. And I remember filling it with Crown Royal and standing in front of the mirror and saying, yeah, this is it, man. This, this is, this is, this, I'm going to be a man. This is going to change me. I remember taking that first sip and I was like, oh my God, the taste was God awful. But the feeling that it gave me um, was something that I never felt before. Um, I was able to, this warm sensation came over my body. And um, the more I drank, the more I started to realize this was a way for me to escape from life, a way for me to escape from reality. Um, and, uh, you know, I started to dabble in a little other things. I started to drink a little more. I started to dabble in other substances, mind altering drugs. And um, as time went on, um, trauma, different things happened in my life. Um, I have the inability. I think like amongst my other peers here to cope. Um, I have the inability to uh, deal with life on life's terms. I don't have coping skills, didn't have coping skills. And so for me, drinking and drugging was the only way I knew how to deal with that because I, I'm a, I, I suffered from feeling less than people, um, wasn't good enough. And that's the way I saw myself. And um, drugs and alcohol helped me escape that and become something that I wasn't. And um, I don't know, for the longest time, man, the more and more I consumed alcohol, the more and more I consumed drugs, the further away I got from who the person that God intended me to be. Um, I got further away from being the good son, the good brother, the good friend. And I became this, I'm not gonna say monster, but at times I was a monster. Um, you know, the alcoholism and drug addiction, addicted person inside of me, um, when it's unleashed, can it's it's like a it's like a storm. Um, I will cause havoc, wreak havoc everywhere I go, um, and, and it sucks. It sucks knowing what you're doing and not having any control about what you're doing, and um, so. You know, I lost my father at the age of 15. And when that happened, I was kind of on the breaking point. One foot in, one foot out. I was starting to screw up in school. I just got kicked off the football team. And then when I lost my father, it just kind of sent me into a, a, to a bit of a tailspin. Um, for me, losing my father was very, very difficult. It has taken me close to 30 years to, to, to cope and deal with it. And um, it was very hard. Bless you. It was very hard for me to deal with that. And like I said, and then drug. But at the time, my mother, she didn't did handle it very well. And I don't blame my family for any of this. Um, she sort of kind of checked out. You know, she would leave and take trips and go visit my sister. She'd fly to Korea for for a month, and she would leave me money, pay uh, checks, blank checks stacks of money on the kitchen table. I wouldn't know, I didn't know where she was. I didn't know when she would come home. Um, I had a sister, older sister who had just had a newborn. So she was busy being a mother. 
and my brother and my other sister were in college. And, um, you know, for the longest time, they would apologize to me saying, you know, we should have came and got you. You should have, we should have came and got you. And for so long, I used that as a, as a, as a crutch for so long. I used that. That gave me a reason, an excuse to do what I did, live the way that I lived. And, 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 you know, for a while they're like, yeah, you know, sure. But after about 20 years, they're like, you know, you're 35 years old. Enough's enough. And um, so I spent many, many years of my life looking and searching for something. Um, I was looking for a way out. I needed help, but I didn't know how to ask for help. And um, I think it was 2009 or 10. I think it was 2011. I had a pretty decent job. Um, I was in an awful, toxic relationship with this woman. Very toxic relationship. And um, I relapsed. Well, I didn't really relapse because I wasn't really in the program at all then. I was just kind of in and out, in and out of using and not using, using and not using. And I remember very well, it was like a week before Christmas and I'd gone out and I spent all the money that I had. And so I did what I did, what addicts and drugs do. I stole money at a place that I used to, I worked for. And I knew the cameras were, uh, we're not working at, at one of the restaurants because I was running two restaurants. So I decided to go to that one and went in and took money and um, kind of went downhill from there. But they didn't have proof that I had taken the money, so they couldn't do anything about it. And I remember sitting in a hotel room, no money, nothing. My family, no one wanted anything to do with me at this point. And then I... Um, I called the police and I told him what happened. And the dispatch lady says, are you sure you want to do this? Cause we really don't have, we just have a little report, but we have nothing, no names, no nothing. I said, no, I said, I need to do this. I said, cause I need help. And I remember the cops coming in and they were very, very cordial, very nice guys. And I remember these officers very well. Cause I told them what I was and, I was an addict and an alcoholic and I had stolen money and that I needed help. And they sat down with me on the bed in the motel room and said, listen, if you need the help, we're going to help you get the help that you need. And, uh, man, you know, I, I just remember that, man. Those guys were just just the tolerance and love and compassion they showed me that day. Um, I'll never forget that moment, man. Um, and I went to jail. I spent 93 days in jail. And anyone who spent any time in jail, they may not think 93 days is long, but man, minutes are, you know, are hours, hours or days. I mean, it, time drags because you got nothing to do in jail, man, but sit there and just stare at the wall. And you know what the worst part was is that when my family and my friends found out I was in jail and how much I begged them to bail me out and my bond was only $1,000. So you think 10% of that to the bondsman was only $100? Not a single person offered to come get me out of jail. And you know what? I'm not mad at them about that. I don't hold any resentment because you know what? I would have done the same thing to me. 
I would have done the exact same thing because you know what? I needed to be in that facility because if I wasn't in that facility, I would have either killed someone, killed myself, or, you know, God knows what I would have done. But at that moment, God seemed fit that I spend 93 days in jail. And, um, you know, and I mentioned God because see, it's hard to imagine that God had a plan for me, that this was part of the plan. Some people think, well, you know, if God is such a loving and caring God, why would he put you through this? I don't know. I don't know what God's, I don't, that's none of my business, you know? But what I do know is, is that the things that I've gone through has led me to where I am sitting right now at this very moment with three men who are active members of, of Alcoholics Anonymous and doing a podcast speaking about my recovery and, um, and James too. Sorry, James. <laughs> Sorry, James. We were questioning which one wasn't a man. Yeah. <laughs> three out of four. The three out of four. But anyway, so fast forward. So I got out of jail and I remember I walked from Simpson Road to Celebration. And I got to tell you, man, just sensory overload, man, because everything in jail is either white black or orange i remember getting out of the jail and going to the bathroom right across the street on 192 to the circle k or whatever it was and going in the bathroom and turning the light off and just bawling my eyes out because in jail they don't turn the lights off and i remember just sitting there crying and um how far of a walk is that you know what though i think it's only like seven miles it took me like six hours it took me a long time to get out. but uh, you know I, i i stopped I made a couple pit stops. I stopped at McDonald's. I remember I, I, I picked up a pack of cigarettes and was just, you know, I was I was a free man, man. I was like, ugh. But um but I was on felony probation, so I was I was ordered to come to AA. And that's that's when I found this place. And um it's funny because Kevin's sitting across from me. He was one of the first persons that ever came up to me and spoke to me at a meeting. And I remember as clear as day it was him and Dan. And uh, I remember Thursday, man, you know, they came up to me and put their hand on my shoulder and said, welcome, you're in the right place. Um, and that started my, my road to recovery right then and there. And like I said before, um, I have not been sober this entire time. And um, things have happened. I've made decisions. And... Um, but you know what, though, like I said, this was all, you know, in like relapsing and all this stuff, you know, it's not a prerequisite. You don't have to do it. But some of us have to go through this in order to, I don't know, to learn. God seemed deemed fit for me to go through this. And you know what? I'm not mad at God for it. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for, for the path that I've been on because it just makes it so much sweeter for me. Um, but... You know, so I got sober. Um, but after after a couple of years of violating probation, being afraid that I was going to go to prison, um, something happened. And I remember when I met my sponsor for the first time, and I was just in a really bad place. And he said to me, um, hey, man, why don't you just give yourself a break? Cut yourself some slack. And I don't know what it was, but at that moment, 
I said, this is the guy that's going to help me. And he's been my sponsor ever since. And he has become more than a sponsor to me. He's become like a father to me. And I love this man dearly. Um, but fast, you know, I, I started, you know, I, I finally started to get sober. I met my wife when I was, uh, not, well, I was, I, I'd met her before. She was my hairstylist. And it wasn't until we were, I was nine months sober where she finally agreed to go on a date with me. So it took about nine months for me to convince her. Um, boy, she probably regrets it now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She loves me. But um, so, you know, we got married. And you know what? I got to tell you, man, marriage is hard. Holy cow, marriage is hard. And I remember my pastor sitting down with me. He goes, you know, Jay, nothing will expose how selfish we are as men until we get married. And then you add that, and then you sprinkle a little alcoholism and a drug addiction on top of that, right? So time goes by. Things got hard with my marriage. Things got tough. I, uh, My bravado, my ego, I would show up in a meeting and share and wax elegantly how wonderful I was doing, how wonderful my marriage was, what a great husband I was. But my wife was at home crying her eyes out, afraid of me because I was I had taken her hostage. Um, and I wasn't even drinking or using at this time. This was before the drugs and alcohol got put in my body. And then things got worse and worse and worse. And I wasn't sh- being honest with my friends, my peers, and my sponsor about where I was at. And it was New Year's Eve. I think it was 2018, New Year's Eve. I had painted myself in a corner. And I just said, you know what? Screw it. And I made a conscious decision to go out and buy some booze. Um, Found a dope dealer. Found myself in a motel room. And I relapsed almost after five years of recovery. Um, And it was awful. I remember sitting there in a chair in front of the mirror and I had booze on one side, drugs on the other side. And I'm staring at myself in the mirror and I am screaming on the inside. What are you doing? I'm screaming for help, but there was nothing, but I had already, but the, I had already crossed the point and there was no going back. And, um, my wife and my brother and his wife found me. I kind of led a paper trail to where I was at. They found me, came and got me. Well, they came and just wanted to make sure that I was alive. Kevin came and picked me up. I remember I called Kevin. He came and picked me up and dropped me off at a gas station where my sponsor picked me up. And I stayed with my sponsor for um, a couple of nights. Then my wife let me back home. And, and, and then, you know what? Though? It didn't get better. It did for a little bit, but it didn't get better. You know, and... I ended up relapsing a few more times. And this last one on March 21st, before the, the quarantine shut down here in Orlando, um, I found myself again in a resort using and drinking. And I was on like a 60 hour bender. And, um, you know, I look back and it's like, I look back the last couple of years and I think, you know, one of the things I learned, because I, I ended up going to treatment, which was probably the best decision I ever made in my life. It saved my life, has so far. And speaking to my therapist and talking about it, and I think one of the things I learned was I was, 
for so long, I felt I never really accomplished anything in my life. And that's just the way I looked at myself. Not how anyone looked at me, how I looked at me. And when I got sober, I felt for the first time I achieved and did something that I could be proud of. But not only me, but what other people could be proud of. And when I relapsed, it was kind of like that just kind of took the air out of my life. And I just felt like for so long after that first relapse, like I'm a piece of crap. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve my wife. What's the point? Right. And it was all self-pity. You know, I was playing the victim. And um, for so long, man, you know, I, I just couldn't let it go. I couldn't I couldn't meet myself where I was at at the time. You know, I was so just so just involved in like in the past, not where I was at at the moment. And I kept reliving those times of me being sober. And I remember I remember being in the meeting and copping so many resentments towards friends of mine because they celebrated two years, you know. And I was like, you know, I'm the reason why Dennis got two years. Why can't I have two years? And, um, man, that is so unhealthy thinking. But, um, yeah, so I ended up going to treatment. Uh, March 22nd, I ended up going to treatment. Dennis, another friend of my wife, took me to treatment. And I remember when, when my wife found me, how my wife found me. And, you know, God has a huge, huge play in all of this. And I need to emphasize this, that God has a huge play in this. There's no coincidences. There's no accidents. There's a bigger play, a bigger player here, and it's God. For me, it's my God and my understanding. Um, my wife, she was at work, worried to death, thought I was dead. And um, my car had been taken because I had passed out. And um, she's outside cleaning the window, and she looks over her shoulder and sees the, my car at the stoplight, jumps in the car, follows the car against everyone saying not to. Um, and this is the kind of woman my wife is. She didn't care. She wanted to find me. And it breaks my heart, the fact that I I have put this woman through so much. But then again, I, I, I rejoice because of the, of the type of woman that I married. My wife is not one of us, but she, my wife, we're Christians. She's a woman of faith. And, you know, for better or worse, we made a vow, a commitment to God for better or worse. And this was worse. So she had to do what she had to do to find me. And she found me. And I ended up leaving, getting on the phone. I remember talking to my employer, um, who has been a, been a godsend. I mean, so many people in my I've been so, I'm so lucky to have been blessed to have so many wonderful people in my life, people in AA, people at my church, and especially the people I work with, um, because you know, so, any other employer would have fired me years ago, um, but she kept giving me a chance after chance. So I remember talking to her on the phone and she's like, do you want to go to rehab? And I remember saying yes. Without any hesitation, without any doubt, I said yes. And um, so I went to treatment, spent 30 days in there. And I remember going to the treatment. And I remember telling myself, you're not going to leave because my treatment facility was only about 45 minutes away from where I live. And I'm going to give a shout out to White Sands Treatment Facility in, in, in Plant City because they did a phenomenal job there. Staff, 
therapists, everyone all around. They did a phenomenal job there. Um, but I remember telling myself, 30 days, you're going to attend every group, you're going to go to every meeting, and you're going to complete every assignment that you get. Because the story of my life was, I never really did that. I never finished anything I said I was going to do. I never committed to anything because I didn't want to do it because I'm lazy. And um, I ended up completing. And I remember getting my certificate from one of my classes. And I was like a little kid who just graduated from elementary school. I was taking pictures, calling my family. And I was so excited. I was so, you know, for the first time in a long time, I was actually proud of myself. And um, so I came home. And... uh, you know, like I said, I just celebrated six months of recovery. And um, the first first month I got out of treatment was very difficult. It was very hard. But I didn't drink and I didn't use. And if I stay sober, if we stay sober, we give ourselves a chance, no matter what, as long as we stay sober. But if I pick up a drink or a drug, I don't have a snowball's chance in hell. And... Um, I don't know. You know, today, this very moment, um, life is pretty good. Like I said, as long as I stay sober, life is pretty good. And all I'm trying to do today is be a better person than I was yesterday. And um, I'm just grateful to be here. Um, So my message to those who are listening is just, you know, when things seem pretty rough, when things seem hard, don't let this. Don't let your solution be worse than the problem. And that was the story of my life. I let the solution be worse than my problem. So I don't know if I rambled long enough, but that's my story. It was great. Thank you so much, Jay. Let's put our hands together for Jay. Thank you for carrying the message. Um, my grateful alcoholic. This is our favorite part because we actually get to talk about ourselves <laughs> and what we and what we actually heard in in you in and. Uh, and by the way, if you go back and listen, um, Jay's sponsor, uh, Danny M, did tell his story. Yep. So you can hear a lot of the gems of uh, sobriety, the rooms, the big book, uh, and what was passed along. Uh, you know, Danny was one of those guys. And when I used to vacation uh, in Disney before moving here, he was one of the guys that stood out because he was like a different character. He was like a guy you know, New York guy. And if you go back and listen to his story, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, that it made me be like, you know, we say the pillars and people are like, oh, that's wrong. But I need like a flag to be like, hey, I'm going to go back to that meeting. And I've been to meetings before that haven't had any different characters or flavors. And it makes me not connect as much. You know, uh, sometimes people get guff for oh they're gonna share in every meeting da, da, da. well right now meetings are small the one this morning had like seven people and, and one of them wasn't you yeah i was i was not there i had to drop off my daughter and uh yeah <laughs> that's true let's name names who was there guys uh no that's that's not how this works but what i heard jay uh specifically was that feeling of uh it, it's funny how it parallels of when you took your first drink that like relief and then the reason that we keep going to meetings and despite you know going back out or taking your will back as you talked about you still kept going and in your your last stint the last six months 
has been, I know, because I have friends that actually started the journey for the very first time in the last six months. It is very different. It is a very different thing because up until two months ago, so the first four months, there were no in-person meetings. So you had to do that back in, like, not to like crosstalk back with you, but did you find that that was uh, the weirdest thing because you went from a safe spot when you were away in Plant City to then coming back? It was, uh, yeah, it was difficult because like you said, when I was in treatment, we had meetings, impersonal meetings. We were hanging out, uh, fellowshipping together. And then when I got out of treatment, it was almost like the opening scene of Walking Dead. Um, there was, I mean, I felt like Rick Grimes walking through the hospital. Like there was nothing out here. Um, and I'm not taking anything away from the virtual meetings because they, they do add, they do help. Um, but I know for me being early recovery, I need to be physically inside of a room of AA because I've been here before, Yeah, you know, and to a new person, they don't know someone, someone who's starting to, who came here for the first time and doing zoom meetings for the first AA meeting, they don't know. They, what do they have it to compare to? They don't. So to them, that's the norm. Um, but for me, it was very difficult for me. But, you know, the Lord, um, God, you know, he worked his way and we're able to open back up. And I'm so happy with that because I know for me, um, I need to be a part of. I need to be doing commitments. I need to be doing service work, um, especially in our early recovery. And, um, you know, I had to have opportunity and privilege of setting up the rooms, breaking down the rooms with my friend Dennis here who also does it. But there's just I, I think I made the uh, the analogy of like you got you got store brand cereal and then you have name brand cereal. Going to a live meeting is like eating good name brand cereal, but when you go to a Zoom meeting, it's like eating Publix brand cereal. It's just not the same. Yeah. So, <laughs> and there and, and there's some like and like what a world we live in that now we can actually do both. And there's no excuses of right. if there's no in person meeting, you know, there's there's so many and we share them and and I know put them out on our our Twitter account so that way if you're looking for any of those, you know. But also, I think one of the biggest things, too, is about the, about the Zoom meetings is that I know for me, I can be easily distracted. If I'm at home, I can just cut the video off and just start doing something completely. I can hide in a, in a virtual meeting for me. And I'm only speaking for me. I'm not speaking for anyone else. <laughs> I can hide in those meetings and not participate. But when I go to an in-live, like a live meeting, um, I'm sort of kind of forced to kind of participate. Um, I can't hide in those meetings, especially the small meetings where... They'll call on you in a heartbeat, you know? So I think there's a, there's a bit of a difference, but that's just for me, you know? Yeah. So. Oh, thank you, Jay. Uh, James, did you want to identify next or do you need a minute? Oh, thank you so much for calling on me, Mike. That really makes me happy. Um, Jay, it's really, really good to hear your story. You know, I've, I've known you for three years plus, and I've never heard your story. So this was really a treat for me. You know, speaking for myself only, um, I like Fruity Pebbles. But I have grown to love fruity oats. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, when you're you know, hungry, cereal, cereal. Yeah. And uh, and um, you know, it's it's. I gotta do a shout out right now if, uh, to someone who whose enthusiasm rivals mine of the Star Wars lore <laughs> and legacy. And uh, it's awesome to have like a a fanboy to talk to. You and my sponsor, you guys appreciate Star Wars as much. Yes, we do. I don't know. 
unless you unless you are it's in your soul you don't really know so that's cool um jay your story was inspiring um i definitely couldn't identify with a lot a lot of you guys know that you know i first came in at 23 um i was dabbling in the program when my first son was born um and i knew i could not stop drinking and i could i could not stop uh using drugs I had this new little life that I had to take care of. And, you know, it's just a lot like you, you know, I was just in and out and in and out. And um, I would not understand the full awesome of God in this program until about 14 years later. And uh, in between that time, you know, I just destroyed a lot of relationships, um, a lot of good things in my life. and was that God's plan? I don't know. You know, I it was it was my it was my willpower or my taking my will that led to it. But um, I think everything happens how it happens. You know, when I got sober, um, I moved up to Celebration. I live here with my wife, who's also in the program, and we um, we're doing good. You know, I understand what you were talking about. Marriage is hard and uh, you're really tested in a marriage. Your, uh, your selfishness comes out the most with the people closest to you. And, um, you know, I can always see how I'm doing the way I react um, to what my wife asks me to do that day or uh, her, her critiques, you know. Um, when I respond or take a little bit of time to just really hear her and uh, listen, you know, I can I can try to respond in a loving way. But it's man, it's hard. Um, right now she's um, actually in Chicago for six weeks, so I'm all alone. And um, you know, it's not anything I really think about. You know, she's on the morning meeting every day. And I'm still going to um, Zoom meetings. But, um, you know, it's it's good. I got to say that when you um, when people come in the rooms and they, they leave, you know, I'm kind of just like I expect it. When you left, you know, it was really unexpected for me. And it, it kind of hurt me, you know, because I really looked up to you. I still do. And, um, you know, when I came up to celebration, you were one of the first people that, you know, I loved hearing you share. I loved your enthusiasm for the program. You're just, you're, you could feel your, your goodness and your soul. And I was like, I want to be friends with this guy. Um, so when you went out, you know, all I could do was, you know, I, first of all, I was like, how could Jay do this to me? <laughs> and then, um, then I quickly went to like, Oh my gosh, I hope he's okay. And then I truly, truly cared. You know, I, I would text you and I would ask, I would text Danny. I was like, where's Jay? What's, what's going on? You know, you were the first person who went out that I truly like cared about and really, you know, wanted the best for. Not that I didn't care before, but I really had a personal connection to you. And uh, last thing I'll say is, um, you know, out of your, uh, when you went to the treatment center, you know, out of it, you met my now sponsee, Eric. He, he, He's my sponsee, and I've never met him in person. We've only done Zoom meetings together. But I brought him through all the steps, and he is now uh, the treasure for our morning meeting. And he is—he's doing so good. I'm proud of that little guy. So thanks for introducing me to Eric. Oh, you're welcome. 
Thanks, James. Thank you, James. Kevin? Yes, I'm Kevin. Um, <laughs> Are you an alcoholic, Kevin? I am an alcoholic. Oh, okay, just check. Didn't we learn that last week? I'm a, I, I forget things. <laughs> I'm gratefully a recovered alcoholic. And I've been around a long time. Especially here in Celebration. I have 11 years of sobriety and I've been here for 10. And I've known Jay pretty much that whole time. Uh, it's an honor to know him. It's an honor to know all of you guys. Um, I've watched, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch people's journeys and it's kind of fun to figure them out, but you never know where they're going. And, um, I am a creature of relapse as well. I didn't get it the first time. It took me a long time. And, uh, my last relapse was two years. And uh, at the end of it, it was horrible. My whole my life had burnt down, and that's what I I relate to Jay. You know, when he first went out, like James said, I was hurt because uh, we're we were close. And when you see somebody who's sober for a while, and who can speak as eloquent as Jay can, you're like, oh, that's great. That guy's got it. And then when he goes, it's just a it's just a it's a shock to the system. But it shows how the disease really is, because sometimes when we're so eloquent and we're putting on the show so well that we're used to, people aren't used to it and they're not they're they're buying it more than, you know, they're more than willing to buy it. Uh, we don't have to sell it that hard, you know, but we're in pain. And that's the trick is we don't have we haven't learned how to deal with the pain yet. And we still listen to our heads and our heads are not our friends. And uh, the first time I was hurt. Uh, the second time I had to, I had to come to terms with this is God's plan. This is his journey and he has to go through it because, uh, sometimes we're, we're alcoholics. We don't, we don't learn because of rainbows and butterflies. We, we learn through hardship and pain, unfortunately. And, uh, it's nice. It's nice to see him back. It's nice to hear him. And I know it. When I came in, my treatment center was a year long. Not that I'm bragging or anything, but I put my time in. Okay. <laughs> but I remember at six months. Um, I remember at six months. I I finally felt like okay, this is the way my life is going to be. And sometimes I hear that in Jay, and uh, I hope it is. I mean, it, it's it's a, there's a lot of growth going on in his life. Um, and unfortunately growth is painful sometimes, you know, uh, if you think about a seed or a plant bursting through its shell, it's seed husk and then up through the ground and into the sunlight. And then once it hits the sunlight, it starts to spread its, its leaves. It starts to really grow, but there's a little bit of uh, turmoil in, in the beginning. Um, and I'm happy, I'm happy he's going through it. Uh, because like I said, you know, pain is growth. Sometimes I, I'm very proud of him. Uh, of you. I don't know why you're sitting right there. I don't know why I'm talking. About. <laughs> but uh, it is. Uh, and he's uh, uh, he's an example. And like I, I preach all the time, all you can be in, in sobriety is, a, is an example. And uh, yeah, God bless you. That's it. I'll hey, pass Kevin. you off to Dennis now, who's been chomping at the bit. Yeah. And good thing he's wearing glasses because. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because why? Why, am I, why is it a good thing I'm wearing because glasses? I can tell the evil eye you're giving me that <laughs> oh, you okay. want to talk so bad. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I don't. I'm. My brain's freezing at a witty comment. Come back with. Um, yeah. Uh, first, like, thank you, Jay. I appreciate you. Of course. I know you're like busy, and we've been trying to get you on. And I'm not now, busy. Well, <laughs> I just don't want to do. You're, it. you're good at you're good at making excuses. At I'm, least, <laughs> listen, I'm an addict, man. I'm an alcoholic. I can I can, I can come up with them pretty quick. <laughs> right. But um, I guess start off with the relating thing when you opened. You know, you mentioned that you grew up in like, you know, a stable family and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and I think that's like, I can relate to that because like I did too. You know, I had two parents that yeah. were together and, and, you know, it's common. But, like, if you watch TV and stuff like that, and when you watch, like, drug addicks and alcoholics and sure. stuff, you know, there's kind of a stereotype, broken home, yeah. trauma as a kid and stuff like that. But the, the truth is, is this disease doesn't discriminate, nope. you know. And, like, I all through my using and stuff, I had trauma in my childhood as well and stuff. And, you know, we hold on to these excuses. Mm-hmm. And these things that go like, if you had my life or whatever, you would do what I do too. But the reality is, is that a lot of people go through the same stuff that we do that don't react to it the same way that we did. Eventually, as you grow up, you know, especially when you get in your late 20s and 30s, you kind of got to realize like, well, that's the past. What am I going to do now? And we have to start taking responsibility for our actions in spite of things that happen to us. You know, and that's hard. It really is hard. Um, you know, I think the hot subject here is the relapses, you know, so I want to touch on there. I think it's, it's brave of you to be able to talk about them as openly as you do now and stuff. I remember when you first told me that you had relapsed that first time, like last year or whatever, I was setting up the morning meeting and you came in and you're like, you know, you said, oh, I, I relapsed. And I laughed. I was like, huh, huh, whatever, that's funny, blah, blah, blah. I totally didn't believe it. You told me like three times before I believed it. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, you okay? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a worrier. And like my natural instinct is to worry and freak out and overthink it and stuff. So my, like, I instantly became scared for you. Like, Oh shit, are you okay? Like what's going on? And, you know, fast forward, like to the last time that you relapsed, I was even more scared, you know? And I think a lot of the things that you kind of touched on about being alone and like feeling the shame and the guilt and the almost envy in a lot of ways because of the relapse, you know, and seeing other people that you know around you that have more time than you and stuff. And, you know, as being on the other side of those relapses, you know, not being the one that relapsed, mm-hmm. but, but having a close friend relapse like that, you know, I can honestly say that you were never alone. The amount of people that were calling me and calling other people and the amount of people that showed up and like, you know, that were truly scared for you because they care about you and they love you and stuff. It's, it goes to show that like, none of us are that way. If it was me that was relapsing, 
you would be one of the first people to show up and try to find me and, and help me out, you know, and seeing the like the fellowship come around and be so concerned about someone, it, it, it gives me almost a stronger faith in the fellowship. You know what I'm saying? And see that this is much bigger than one single person. It's all of us are in this together. And we're all when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And whenever, you know, one of us needs help, we all come together to help. And, you know, another thing about when relapse happens, you hear it a lot where people talk about like having to start over and like everything up to this point was wasted and everything like that, where, you know, I don't believe that's true. You know what I'm saying? That those five years that you had sober, you learned a lot you were sober for those five years. So those five years count for those five years. But also in those five years is when you, when I met you, you know, and you're a big part of my story because I believe that without meeting you and and I believe God brought us together. And without that, I wouldn't be with the just over three years that I have now, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's like, you know, you don't want to rest on your lawyer loyals, but that means something to me that your my friendship with you, my encounter with you and the kindness that you showed me and Pokemon go <laughs> uh, changed my life for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? Whether you have one week or five years mm-hmm. is irrelevant because that mm-hmm. moment meant something and it still means something to me, you know? And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, but again, like, like I appreciate you, being open and telling your story like that. I know when you did relapse, me and you talked a lot. You know, we spent a lot of one-on-one time talking about a lot of things. And I'm not going to go into what we talked about, but you opened up to me in a lot of vulnerable ways and, and about fears and stuff like that and, and everything. And so now, you know, I noticed it more before where everything was fine and everything was great when it wasn't. Now, whenever I get a call from you at some weird hour of the day or whatever, and I pick up the phone and you start venting to me or like <laughs> talking to me about whatever's going on, you know, a little part of my heart melts. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, ah, it sucks what you're going through, but I'm glad you're fucking calling me. Yeah. You know what I'm absolutely, saying? Absolutely. Like you're making an effort and you're doing <clears throat> the right thing. And I think that's it's not about like all the BS that we go through throughout the day, but it's about how we handle it. And you, every time I hear you call me or, or, you know, see your name on the phone, I'm like, ah, he's going to make it through this day. You know, (laughs) and that's a beautiful thing, but thanks again. Thanks Dennis. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to add that the word of the day is laurels. We shall not rest on our laurels. Thank you. Thank you yeah, very lawyers, much. Yeah. Whatever. I'm going to go I, back to Melbourne. I thought it was lawyers. Also, <laughs> if you're, wow. yeah, if you're actively <laughs> drinking, you might be resting on your lawyers, you know? He gets mad at me when I do that. So. <laughs> uh, and there's a couple quotas. I don't know if you know this, Jay, that we always have to hit. Um, Dennis has to talk about Pokemon Go every episode. So I'm <laughs> glad we got that in. Okay. And he also has to say fuck. So oh, we made sure. Oh, we, I well, I, I gave him, I gave oh, him a hard you time. Because, Jay, honestly, uh, yeah, progress not perfect. James and I, I mean, keep working it, man. Uh, James and I uh, uh, poke fun at our buddy Dennis for having a potty <laughs> mouth, and he has been on his best behavior, which is still 
not as good as James and I. But you know, what? <laughs> would you yeah. agree, James? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no one. Um, but honestly, Jay, thank you so much. Um, you know, I value your time. I know uh, we almost actually had to reschedule today, and um, you called up Dennis and said, "Hey, you know what? I made a commitment, yeah. and I want to do it." And how many times, I mean, I think for me, that's the most outside of like staying away from a drink and a drug one day at a time. The most important thing that I learned in the program is that, is that if you make a commitment, you're going to keep to it. That being said, you know, my reaction was when Dennis said that you couldn't make it, it was, you know what? I know he will in the, in the future. And I was more bummed out if it didn't happen today, because I know Without a doubt, outside of the four of us, you're helping somebody else out that you don't even know who's listening right now, you know, and how important that is. And that's what's kind of cool about, like, I feel like the podcast boom the last year and a half has been crazy, but the recovery podcast. And when Dennis was talking about that five years, um, I'll say his name because he has a podcast that talks about recovery just this past week before this recording, Dax Shepard. Uh, relapsed and he had 16 years and uh, he talks about it in his thing and said his biggest regret was that some people have come into the program because he doesn't talk about AA but talks about recovery and uh, was really bummed out and he's like I lost all that time and what Dennis said was important was think of all the the messages and the times that you've told your story before this and be able to help somebody else out. Right. And I think I think there's a huge message in that when we go out after a period of time that, you know, no matter how much time we have, we're all susceptible to going out and relapsing. This disease does not rest on its laurels. Yeah. This disease is cunning, powerful, and it is patient. It will wait for us at any time. It's like water. It will wait for the right moment. It will seep in any crack, crevice, any kind of weakness that we have. And it will get us if we are not, you know, for me, um, that daily reprieve continues on the maze of my spiritual condition. You know, it's a daily thing that I have to do on a daily basis to make sure that I'm in a good place spiritually, mentally, and physically. Um, because if I'm not slowly, but surely, um, the further I get away from this, the, 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 the quicker I'll, uh, and, it, and sometimes it's not just picking up a drink or a drug. It's my behavior, how I treat my wife, how I work, I treat my employee, fellow employees at work, you know? So I think it's very important that, um, you know, relapse, you know, and I've learned now that relapse is important for me to share my experience, strength and hope, good and bad, to share my relapse because, you know, someone out there could be possibly going through the same thing that I was going through before I picked up that drink or drug, you know, and maybe someone's going through what I went through during the relapse. And, um, you know, today I'm okay where I am with my recovery. I'm, I'm willing to meet myself where I'm at in my recovery today. I'm okay with being a six months sober. That's six months, man. Mm-hmm. That's huge, you know? And, uh, you know, and I don't think, and I think if it wasn't for those five years, I wouldn't be able to be where I am today. It helped me get back to these rooms quicker than, than later, you know? So, yeah. And, uh, Jay, I just got a, I just got a text. Um, it was from God. He said, he said he's, you're doing. Really <laughs> Is it a group text? Cause I didn't get it. <laughs> I, I no, 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 no,
Welcome to the resentment list, God. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Kidding. I feel like totally God, kidding, God probably does a lot of Jesus memes, right? Uh, yeah. You know, he's probably into that. I don't think that's the first time God's been Oh, on. he's got a great sense. Go ahead, James. Oh, I just said he's got a great <laughs> Yeah, he does. And I don't think that's the first time he's been on a resentment list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I wanted to add real quick that Jay just said that's so super important is he kept coming back. We tell everybody, keep coming back. Sometimes you don't get it in the first couple times, but eventually you will. You just keep coming back. Nice. I love that. And we will be back next Thursday sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you in episode 57. We are the defective characters, entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone else's today. And we'll see you next time.